So turn in your Bible then to Zechariah chapter 10. If you have a Bible, if you're not, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, and if you're having problems finding Zechariah, you can probably find the New Testament. The beginning is the book of Matthew. And quite literally, just turn backwards two books and you get to Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah is a prophet of God, and he's one of the, uh, I guess the way to put it is most recent Old Testament prophets. He wrote late in, in history. Uh, he wrote in what's, what we call the post-exilic area, era. Uh, they were in exile in Babylon, big, huge marker in the history of Israel. Uh, Babylon, because uh, they, they were a free state, uh, essentially from 1400 B.C., uh, and then they fell to Babylon in 586 B.C. Off the top of my head, that's a lot of years. That's several centuries, right? They were independent and free, and then they were smashed horribly and violently by Babylon. Um, 586 is when that happened. And now, now they're restored to Israel. And so that's why we call it, and he's writing to them to encourage them to continue the restoration process uh, in, in Israel. That's why we call it a post-exile or post-exilic prophet. Uh, one of the beautiful things about this prophet is that the, the, it's a lot of poetry. It's actually Hebrew poetry, and it's, the language is beautiful. Even translating it into English it's just gorgeous language, and the, the concepts, the truth taught is, are, is gorgeous too, but the way he says it is just absolutely fantastic and, and, and gorgeous. Uh, for example, uh, I, I would just say, read it again, you know, but look at um, up at chapter, the last chapter we looked at, chapter 9, verse 12, uh, beautiful, beautiful language. Return to your stronghold. What is he saying? He said, come back to God. Come back to the Lord. You've been out there wandering around, around, trying to fight the battle on your own. Get back into your fortress. Come, return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. That's just gorgeous language. It's right here, you know, coined by Zechariah, written by him through the influence of the Holy Spirit. But this really, in fact, one of our small groups decided to call themselves prisoners of hope uh, because of this text uh, that they looked at. Gorgeous name. Just think of that idea, prisoners of hope. If you had to choose who was your master, you know, would it be anxiety would it be depression? Would it be fear? Would it be guilt? You, know? you don't want to choose that master. Why don't you choose the master of hope? You know, be a prisoner of hope. Be uh, one who instead of meditating on how sinful I am, how, how discouraging life is, or, or instead of meditating on how I have sinned in this way and that way, or what, what happens other times, instead of meditating on how other people have sinned against me, perhaps, you know, let's be a prisoner of hope. What, what, what do we hope in? That God is the Savior. He will save us from all of that mess 
The mess is real. I'm not denying the mess. But the scripture says, what does it say? Bless the Lord, O my soul, right? Focus on the Lord. Develop this discipline to become a prisoner of hope. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It's, it's just a way of saying trust in God. It's a way of saying believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Uh, in other words, have faith in God. Uh, beautiful, beautiful words. Um, I probably said beautiful too many times, so I'll, say, I'll try to limit my use of that adjective, okay? <laughs> Look at verse 17 for more amazing language. Uh, actually, let me go ahead and read 16. I'm just saying, look at this poetry. Zechariah 9, 16 and 17. On that day, the Lord their God will save them. See, they, they're prisoners of hoping that God would save them. And he will save them. As the flock of his people, for like the jewels of a crown... They shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. So what I'm saying is we're looking at some gorgeous literature. And I just encourage you to meditate on the word of God. For how great is his goodness? Can, can you measure how good God is? Uh, no, you cannot. How great is it? It's bigger than we can imagine. He's good. He's kind. His kindness took his own son to the cross for us. His kindness takes the wrath of God for us. His own wrath he bears. That's how great his goodness is. And how great is his beauty See, salvation is actually about aesthetics. I mean, it's about beauty. We get saved, and it's a beautiful thing. It it draws out all of our God-created appreciation of what is good and beautiful. And we worship God, and we're so thankful uh, to be alive. All right, that's an introduction uh, to the concept of what we're looking at here. It's fantastic literature. So let's look at chapter 10. Only 12 verses. Uh, that, although when we read it, it seems like an awful lot. <laughs> but only 12 verses. I want to read it through, and then I've got a nice little outline that hopefully will make sense and hopefully encourage us uh, to uh, interact with God today. Let me read it, the whole poem. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain from the Lord who makes the storm clouds and he will give them showers of rain to everyone the vegetation in the field for the household gods utter nonsense and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. 
For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord, their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me. Just just pause here a second. Remember, Zechariah means uh, Yahweh remembers. This is the same verb as uh, his name. You know, when your name pops up in literature, you notice it, right? Like, ha, isn't that cool? That's my name. Uh, Well, Here he's using the verb upon which his name is based. So it's kind of cool because they're in these far-off countries scattered there by the anger of God, justly deserved because of their sin. They're scattered abroad, and God is going to work a miracle in their hearts there, and they will remember. They will remember God, and he will bring them back. Okay, back to the reading of, of the poem. Verse 9, though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me. And with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria And I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea. And all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Father, that is my humble prayer, that you would add your blessing to the reading of your precious word today. 
Father, if you could just open our eyes to see that we have uh, uncorked beautiful wine, beautiful literature that you have given us that we have long, long rejected and ignored. Forgive us, O Lord, and open this precious passage, apply it to our hearts, and, and Lord, may we go from here having heard you, and in your kindness and grace, draw us to yourself. Give us the gift of, of a desire to turn to you wholly and completely, to be forgiven, to be experiencing your compassion. Lord, we pray and strengthen us through Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's look at this. So right at the top, we have this talk about rain. We in Northern California, I mean California, I should say, worry a lot about rain. Uh, we're kind of like actually the Mediterranean where Israel was. Uh, actually, the geography is quite similar. Um, they have you know mountains to the east of them. We have the Sierras, a bit taller, but they have some mountains to the east of them. But the rainfall is similar. You know, it comes in its particular season, and uh, it was always a big issue. And and look at this this verse it says, "Ask rain from the Lord." in the season of the spring rain from the Lord who makes the storm clouds and he will give them showers of rain to everyone the vegetation in the field for the household gods utter nonsense see what was happening is the people of Israel even though they've been restored to the land they're still like part in and out and they're following their neighbors their neighbors make a big ruckus and call on the local gods for rain. In fact, uh, one of the most popular gods through uh, centuries in this vicinity was Baal. You probably, everybody's heard of Baal, I presume. And that was Baal's job, was to bring the spring rains and to bring vegetation. And so all of the culture, the popular culture around them, is saying, well, you know, you really should... Uh, pay homage to Baal and ask him for rain. Everybody does it, and that's what you should do. And the Lord is honestly sort of insulted, right? Not sort of, he's insulted. He says, I'm a jealous God. I don't want you calling on other gods. I want you calling on me. Ask me for my supply. So I start out with this. God is the source of sustenance. Wait for him. Wait for him. Trust him. Ask him to supply, and he will supply in his beautiful time. That's what he promises. He will provide what we need. Jesus preached this. You know, he said, hey, listen, look, look at the lilies of the field. They don't worry, and God provides for them. They're beautifully, amazingly dressed, and uh, he provides for them. Won't he much rather provide for you? Trust the Lord that he will provide. Trust him that our prayers are heard through Jesus Christ, and he'll answer uh, when he thinks it is best to answer. So this beautiful image of just rain. The Lord provides what we need. He is the source of sustenance. Wait for him. And, and then it, what's he challenging? As I said, he's challenging that um, in culture there are all. all alternative is the word I was trying to say there alternative sources of information 
there's competition for authority. People are saying, no, this is what's true, or no, this is what's true, which is contrary to what God has told us. And what seems familiar and popular can lead you astray. We have the source, conflicting sources of authority. And for a Christian, we might be like the balloon with a smile on it, you know, in a minority. Uh, people will think you're crazy for following the Word of God. We have lots of other authorities that are saying other things. And you don't have to depend on the Lord to provide. Again, listen to the Word of God, Zechariah 10, 2. For the household gods utter nonsense. See, just pause there for a second. Why do these God-fearing Jews have household gods? It's completely inappropriate. You know, where's the common sense? We believe in one God who has revealed himself in Holy Scripture. Why are we dragging these other sources of information and acting like they have authority in our lives? The household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners, these are self-appointed prophets, diviners. Hey, I've seen God. I know what's true. They see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. You know, the Bible says this. This is from 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22. Test everything. You know know what? To be a true Christian, you need to be a critic. You need to have a critical mind. When you hear a piece of advice or consolation or information, you should say, well, is that true? Is that from the Bible? Even ask that question, well, where is that in the Bible? Where is that really taught in Holy Scripture? Paul the Apostle says, test everything. Uh, Far from, you know, we get criticized as Christians for being naive and there was a radio show in, in San Francisco. They always criticized Bible-believing Christians, saying that when you come to church, we say, you check your brain at the door and pick up your crayons. Now, of course, we do have crayons out there, <laughs> but not for the adults. <laughs> uh, and we don't ask you to check your brain at the door at all. We don't ask you to sit here and listen Listen to Nate and never question Nate. No, it's, it, we, we study the Word of God. We're taught by the Word of God. And Paul says, through the, infor- <laughs> through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So we need to be testing our consolation, our advice that we're receiving. And I thought, well, what? What constitutes the local gods, uh, the uh, household gods and the diviners, and these people are claiming authority and give empty consolation? I I think, to be fair, it could be anything, but my mind first went to television, to the media. Um, Here's some images of Americans who have amazing impact. And to a large extent, they are, they're not using their influence to convince people to uh, listen to the Word of God. And these are just some ideas of people who have tremendous influence that we should be critical of. We shouldn't just listen to what they're saying, even if they're running for president. 
<laughs> that's, that's a joke. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, who is it that has influence on us? You know, we have to be very careful, very critical. Are we listening to the Word of God? Are we trusting God for His provision, for His sweet consolation? God is the source of sustenance. Wait for Him. Compare what you're hearing with the Word of God. That's why, honestly, that's why we spend so much time. You notice every small group we have is about the Bible. It's because the, it's the Word of God. It, it, we need all sorts of wisdom and a lifetime uh, and constant encouragement. We, uh, who appreciated Kurt standing up here and saying, you know, I needed this verse because I blew it last night. And I'm so, we, we all, amen, you know. That's where we are. We needed this verse, Lord. And we have this little discipline of reading a psalm every Sunday, and, and most of the time you look for it, God has something for you in there, you know? And so that's where it is. Now, let's move on. This next thing. God holds the spiritual leaders responsible for the straying speech. speech. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get some water. The, say that several times. Straying sheep. I think there's an important balance here. Of course, I'm bouncing off this uh, verse. My anger is hot against the shepherds. That's a whole other topic, but uh, there's this popular American sort of psychobabble idea that all anger is wrong, right? Um, that can't be a biblical idea because God says I'm angry. Um, he controls his anger, and he doesn't, you know throw dishes and, and threaten people. Uh, it doesn't have, you know, blow-ups of out-of-control anger, but he's saying when something is wrong, I am angry with it, and particularly, particularly when somebody has authority and they abuse that authority to hurt other people. God is very angry at that. Uh, remember what Jesus said, if you, you make a child uh, trip into sin it would be better if you had a millstone tied around your neck and cast into the bay, in the Monterey Bay, in a deep spot. You know, horrible, horrible. God, Jesus, how could you say that? You know, Jesus, you're supposed to be the, the hippie god of love, you know? Well, he, he had appropriate anger as well. Anger, particularly at the abuse of power and authority, and that's what's happening here. There's this group of religious leaders in Israel that are not doing their job. They're not pointing out the errors of the sheep. They're just letting the sheep wander off and probably encouraging them to do it. And, and God says, I, my anger is hot against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders. Uh, I don't say this lightly because I am in the role of a shepherd. The word pastor means shepherd. Uh, and it's scary. <laughs> you know, look with me real quickly at James. In the, right toward the end of the um, New Testament, after Hebrews. You don't have to turn there, but uh, that's where it is. And James 3, 1 says what? Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So as we have influence, and you, you have influence. You don't have to be an official teacher. You have influence in your 
friendships, in your home, um, in, in your workplace, you have influence. Let's use our influence for God's glory and not incur the wrath of God. Uh, let's look at a couple of other passages on this. Go back into the Old Testament to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34 has the same um, uh, kind of sentiment. Ezekiel is written in the very early part of, of the exile. This was a continual problem. In other words, how did the people of Israel get so bad off? One of the problems was their leaders were not holding them to the word of God. They were allowing them to wander off. They were ignoring uh, the word of God. So here is Ezekiel 34, verses 7 through 10. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely, because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. And here's the idea of the shepherds gathering the flock and butchering them and enjoying, you know, roast sheep. Uh, at, God is saying, I'm going to put a stop to this, and they shall not be food for them. So God is saying, there's an interesting balance here I think we should um, acknowledge. Is he reprimanding the sheep? Yes, he is. At the first part, he's going right to the sheep. You guys shouldn't be consulting the uh, local deities in your home uh, and, and begging them for rain. You know, you, I want you, I want your heart, I want you to trust me to provide. You're wrong, sheep, you're wrong. And then he turns to the shepherds, I hate you guys, I'm really angry at you because you haven't been leading the sheep. You see a balance there? The, the sheep can't say, well, God... You gave me a bad shepherd, and that's why I got misled. Uh, no, it's, you're, we're still responsible for testing everything and holding on to what is good and abhorring what is evil. But uh, God is angry at the leaders. So, so I thought, you know, what does this look like for us? And I think, you know, the biggest thing would be to show pictures of just regular pastors uh, who don't preach the word of God. And you know, my fear is that, I, Lord, not, let not that be me. Um, but we have a lot of examples in America of, of people with huge influence. This is a guy named Benny Hinn. Uh, you know, look at him you know, posing there with the Bible. Just, just a straight-out false teacher. Just really sad uh, how he's used his influence. This is a lady named uh, Joyce, I think. And then, then there's their ever popular, most popular pastor in America, Joel Olstein, uh, who, you know, and, and all of these people say some really good things, you know, 
but they don't really preach the Word of God in full counsel, and they say some things that are really, really misleading. Uh, so I say, yes, those are culprits, but you know, we all have to be sure we are trusting God and not being misled. Let's, so my, by the way, my outline has two points. Two points. Uh, God is the source of sustenance. Wait for him. And here's the second and final sort, uh, point. God is the source of deliverance. Trust in him. Trust in him. And the rest of our text uh, is quite a bit, but it's really that theme. 3b through 12, verse 3b through 12, that God is the source of deliverance. We should trust in him. Two, uh, let's read 3b. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. That is a really cool image because up here, they're wandering, they're wandering like sheep, and they have these shepherds who are self-serving and actually eating them. You know. And so they, they go from being victims to being prey, that God changes them, and they become mighty warriors in battle. When God strengthens his people, uh, they will become mighty warriors. Look at the text here. From him shall come the cornerstone. From him the tent peg. From him the battle bow. This is verse 4. And from him every ruler, all of them together. The Lord is going to provide. Who is the cornerstone? It is Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says Jesus is the cornerstone. He is God's provision to save us. Trust in him. Uh, here is Matthew twenty-one forty-two. Jesus said to them, he's talking to religious leaders. He says, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That's Matthew 21, 42. God has provided. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's the cornerstone. He's the tent peg. You know, think of that in terms of like a, a Bedouin community. You know, what's important to hold your tent down? A nice, strong stake that holds it against the wind. And, and Jesus is actually like a tent peg to us. He's a, a strong anchor against the winds and the storms of life that are definitely coming. He's the battle bow. He provides the battle bow. He will win our uh, wars and battles against our huge enemies. We can trust him. The enemies are real. But he will overcome them. And then, then he provides every ruler. He will provide the rulers. You know, it's cool is when he comes to set up his kingdom, he's not going to have elections. <laughs> there's not going to be, there's going to be no more campaigning. No more campaign finance reform. <laughs> no box on your tax form says, do you want to contribute to this fund? He is all wise and all wonderful, and he will appoint all the rulers that we will need as he comes into his kingdom and as we move on into the new heavens and the new earth. He, he's got it covered. We can, we can trust him. And 
So when God strengthens his people, uh, they become mighty warriors. Listen to the, the word. Continue on. Um, verses 6 and 7 particularly. Um, no, 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 I'm sorry. I want to go 5, 6, and 7. They shall be like mighty men in battle. See, and, and this is future. He's going to save, notice it says Judah and Joseph. Joseph is the northern tribes. He's talking, he's saying literally Ephraim or Ephraim. And Joseph, you are the northern tribes. I'm going to save you. It's going to be so amazing. Because everybody says, hey, the ten tribes of Israel, they're gone. They're lost. Nobody knows where they are. Somebody knows where they are. <laughs> he's the same God who is all-powerful, and he's going to restore them. It's going to, wow, unbelievable, beautiful. Um, but he's also talking to us now. He, he's saving us, and we're being sanctified. And he doesn't want us to be sheep victimized by sin and the schemes of the devil. He wants us to develop into mighty warriors, conquering, reigning in life. It's a huge, beautiful vision. That's why you're still here on the earth. And you could have died a long time ago. Uh, God's not finished with you. He has decided purposefully to leave us here to overcome and become his mighty warriors. Anyway, that's what he's saying. It's so beautiful. Verse 5, they shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back, because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though they had not, excuse me, they shall be as though I had not rejected them. See, that's, that's salvation right there. We, are, we stood rejected, and now we're accepted. And it's going to be as if we were never rejected. Uh, and, and it applies specifically, I think, literally to a future re- restoration of the people of Israel. But it also is salvation for us now. Look at how it... On what authority do you say this? this these words, this Hebrew poetry. Well, right there, verse 6, the final line. For I am the Lord, their God. And I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it, you know, and be glad. That's my daddy. (laughs) I'm so proud of my daddy. He's overcoming. I see it, and I'm glad. It's so exciting. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. So what do we have here? Look back up in verse 3. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and he will make them like his majestic steed in battle. They'll become mighty warriors. That's God's hope for you. You know, we're sheep. The Bible says this. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to our own way. You know, sheep are the dumbest animals. Uh, they can't take care of themselves. They get to a point where they, you know, they can't even walk. You, know, you need to carry them. You need to help them. I've never been a shepherd, but this is what I understand. I mean, look at that thing. 
<laughs> this is not a highly intelligent. <laughs> and nobody know who chooses a sheep to go into battle. Well, what, what, what's your mount today? Uh, a ewe? <laughs> no, 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 no. But the, he says, look, look at the word here. He says, be a majestic steed. And that's what sanctification is, dear friends. Moving from stupid sheep to majestic steed. And we're all in the process, and we all kind of fluctuate back and forth. You know, okay, you dropped it, you got to start over. Oh, come on. Yeah, you got to start over. <laughs> Go back to stupid sheep and humble and work, 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 work up. And th- that's why we're here. So we go to the majestic steed, you know. That's what you choose to go into battle. Uh, that's that's glory, glorious and wonderful. I mean, I'd rather eat a sheep, but I'd rather ride the majestic steed. Sheep sounds good about now. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's, it's gorgeous what God is promising to his people. I know your situation. Our psalm says we're dust. We're but dust. We're weak, and we need to be saved. So my final sub-point is this. God is going to gather his people, defeating their enemies, and they will be strong in the Lord and walk in his name. He's, he's changing us. We're, we, uh, see, salvation is three parts. You're saved when you receive Christ as your Savior. Your sins are forgiven, and you're good. You know, you really are. You're justified. He, God declares you in his authority. He declares you righteous in Jesus Christ. You're saved. The young man walked into a, a church, and he came to the pew, and somebody was sitting there, and he said, Excuse me, is this, is this seat saved? And the person said, I don't know, but I'm praying for it. <laughs> Isn't that a great joke? I don't know. I think it's funny. <laughs> let's, go, let's go back to some of that old language. You know, are you saved? <laughs> Have you come to the place where you said, yes, Lord, I, I, I agree with you. I needed you. I'm a sinner. And, and I want to be washed and clean in the blood of the Lamb. That, then you're saved. But now we're, notice Hebrews, the passage we read, Igor read for us, we're those who are being sanctified. Did you hear that word? That's life now, as it is now. We're being sanctified. We're being saved. And then finally, the third part is, when Jesus returns, we're going to, be saved forever and not have process anymore. But we shouldn't re- resent the process. It's God's will. Let's enjoy the process and grow, grow through it. And God will work through it. One of my favorite verses is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And that's what's going on here. Let me read uh, the final Part of this text, again, again, it's so beautiful, this uh, gorgeous uh, poetry. I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. Well, yeah, 8. I will whistle for them. Come, you know, a whistle follows, uh, goes a long way. And his people, their ears will perk up when they hear the whistling of the Lord. He wants to restore them. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. He's, he's paid the price for their sin. He's redeemed them. 
It's all through Jesus. And they shall be as many as they were before. Total restoration. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember. Zechariah. That's the Lord remembers, but here they will remember the Lord. And with their children they shall live. You know, if you, if you live around New York, there's a lot of Jews who live there. And one of the common little um, jewelry they have is a, two Hebrew letters, a chef and a yod, I'm pretty sure. And it's the word life. Lakaim. To life, to life, lakaim, right? From the fiddler on the roof, lakaim, to life. La means two. Kaim is life plural, actually. They love to make things plural and complicated. And, and, and that's the promise here, you know. So gorgeous. You get to live with your children, be gathered together, and with their children they live. They shall live. God wants you to live. God doesn't want you to die. And you're on a death course right now if you have not come to Christ as your Savior. Pretty good stuff, huh? Sorry, let me take a little drink and I'll finish off here. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon, this way, you know, up north. You know, fill in the whole place till there is no room for them. They want a full house. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low. All the former enemies desiccated, dried up, gone. And the scepter of Egypt shall depart. And here's the beautiful part of this that I put on that text. They will be strong in the Lord and walk in his name. We have a promise that we will be sanctified. We will have no more struggle with sin uh, at some point in the future. I will make them strong in the Lord and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, declare Declare that over us, we pray. We want to be your people who, who hear the, the noon whistle and, and, and return to come home, to live, to have, have life with you and to be victorious and to be your mighty steed in battle and, and just grow out of being stupid sheep all the time. With, for this we pray. Declare it over us, O oh Lord. Help us to hear your whistle to come home. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand? I just want to focus back on Psalm 103.